Our Father, we thank You this morning for confidence that we have in Your Word. Thank You, our Father, that Your Word is reliable and true. It is steadfast. It is the rock on which we stand. And it reveals Your steadfastness. It reveals Your stability. This morning it reveals Your unchangingness. And in a world that is fraught with change, would You make us to be confident in You today, to lean on You, to find rest in You, to find peace in You, to find contentedness in You. Would You guide us in understanding this morning And would you give us hope, confidence in you, in Christ our Savior, by the power of the Spirit who resides within us. In the name of our glorious Savior we pray. Amen. There are some constants in life, death and taxes among them. And another constant in life is change. We can be certain that there are very few things in life that are static. There are very few things in life that remain constant, except the constancy of change. Among the changes in life are cultural norms, the things that are considered appropriate and in our conduct in in the culture are constantly changing. Consider the story of one John Fisher and Lizzie Clark from just over a hundred years ago. John Fisher was described as a young, debonair, and high-collared man. Lizzie Clark, a demure maid who looked older than her 15 years. They were strangers when their paths crossed in Atlantic City. Listen how the New York Times described their interaction. Miss Clark was standing on the platform. He thought she smiled. She got on the car and took the front seat. He beat a ragtime refrain. Then he ran his hand through his hair, brushed two specks from his coat, smiled a pensive smile, and took the seat beside Miss Clark and remarked in feeling tones, that it looked like rain. Hardly were the words uttered when the conductor bore down, attracted by the girl's signs of distress. Off to the Camden, New Jersey uh, court went the debonair fisher. The charge? Flirting. He got 60 days in jail for flirting, for telling a girl that he thought it might rain. A man screening obscenities will barely cause heads to turn on the New York subway today, remarks the New York Times. It must have been the feeling tones. Indeed, one constant in life is change. Things unrelentingly change. Said one political columnist, Our dilemma is that we hate change and we love it at the same time. What we really want is for things to remain the same but get better. That may be our desire, but the last two months we have been experiencing anything but that. Nothing has stayed the same and seemingly everything has gotten worse. People have lost jobs in unprecedented numbers. The economy has largely tanked. We are physically distant from friends and family. Numerous people have gotten sick and have died. Relationships are being challenged because of our closeness. We are so close together that that we are grating on one another at times. And there is a relational conflict that we never thought that we would have with those who are closest to us. And then 
There are the differing opinions about what we ought to be doing in relation to COVID-19. And even within a single home, there might be differing opinions about whether the government is acting appropriately or inappropriately, too cautiously or too aggressively. Things are changing. And in the midst of that change, we are screaming for, desiring, longing, lamenting for constancy and stability. This morning, we are reminded of our unchanging God by the suffering psalmist. We don't know the exact circumstances of the psalmist who wrote Psalm 102. We don't even know who the psalmist is. There is some conjecture that perhaps he was writing while the nation of Israel was in captivity in Babylon, and that that seems to be a reasonable possibility, but But we can't say that with certainty. We just don't know. We just know that he is suffering. He is hurting. There is some calamity that has come down upon him. And and the calamity has produced physical suffering within him. He appears to be on the verge of death. And he is lamenting his position to God. And he is crying out to him. And by the end of the psalm, he finds comfort from the unchanging God. God who is unchanging, God who is immutable, God who is constant, is His source of comfort, His source of hope, His source of confidence. As we think about God unchanging, as we think about the immutable nature of God, theologians have described His immutability in this way. God's immutability is that perfection of God by which he is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections and in his purposes and in his promises, and is free from all accession or diminution and from all growth or decay in his being or perfections. In other words, God is the same, He is unchanging in His sameness. He doesn't grow. He doesn't develop. He doesn't become more like Himself, nor does He diminish from what He is in any way. He is always fully what He is, and He remains unchanging in that state. The psalmist in Psalm 102, as we will see it in the final stanza, verses 23 to 28, will say it this way. Our confidence in life is God's unchanging nature. As we look for things in which we might place our hope, as we look for things in which we might be confident, as we look for stability, the one place that the psalmist says that we can find our stability is in God's unchanging nature. As he thinks about his circumstance And as he thinks about the nature and the character of God, the psalmist will point to two realities of life, to two realities of life. Again, our confidence is in God's unchanging nature. And we will see the truthfulness of that in two realities about life. The first reality is given to us in verses 23 and 24. Actually, it begins at the start of this psalm, and I want to just draw your attention there as we begin and then come back to verses 23 and following. The first thing that the psalmist points to is the reality that our lives are full of affliction. Our lives are full of affliction, and we see this both in the heading and in verse 1. Notice the superscription to the psalm. He says, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. That's the, that's the superscription and that is not part of the biblical text. It was put there later by an editor. Um, so the psalmist probably didn't write that. And yet, in general, when we see those superscriptions, they are considered to be fairly reliable. And so we don't take it as being part of the text, but it, it does tell us something about the text. And here the, the editor is telling us that this psalm that follows is a prayer. It is, and that word prayer is a, 
is a general word, and in fact, it's that same word that's going to be used in verse 1, where he says, hear my prayer, O Lord. It's a, it's a word that's used of a general prayer that's offered up to the Lord, but very often that word is also used for a lament, a, a cry to God for, for someone who is in some kind of suffering. It's a, it's a lamentation. The psalmist, the psalm editor also points out that that this prayer is given by a man who is afflicted. That, that word afflicted sometimes will point to people who are in suffering because of financial difficulty. And so they are poverty stricken. They don't have the physical resources that they need to provide for themselves. But this psalmist, and we'll see this in just a few moments, this psalmist is far more than just financially afflicted. He is, he is suffering in other kinds of ways as well. In fact, he is suffering not just with physical circumstances in his life, but he is suffering from oppression that comes from others. And we see the use of that word affliction in other psalms. Consider Psalm 37, verse 14. The wicked have drawn their sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy. So Psalm 37, verse 14, he is afflicted, and he is afflicted because some have been persecuting him. They have been seeking his destruction. We find the same thing in Psalm 86, uh, verses 1 and 14. Psalm 86, verse 1, he says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. So I am oppressed, I am, I am suffering. And in what way is he suffering? Verse 14, O God, arrogant men have arisen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. So, so there is someone who is oppressing him, there is someone who is attacking him, and his suffering and his affliction is because of what others are doing to him. And this, this will be the experience of this psalmist as well. He also points out the fact that he is faint. It is the prayer of the afflicted when he is faint. He is, he is sickly and weak. And, and perhaps that is that faintness that comes from even sin. That was the situation with, with, uh, Jonah when, when he spoke of being faint, that he was, he was faint and he was, he was weak and he was suffering because of sin that he had committed. And so this psalmist, the editor tells us, pours out his complaint before the Lord. He's not just praying. He's not just talking to God, but he is so overwhelmed that he is constantly complaining. His words are, are gushing out over his bad situation. In fact, this, this word, he is pouring out his complaint is a word that is used frequently by Job. Job will use this word nine times in his book. And it's a word that's used regularly in the Psalms as well as, as people speak about their suffering situations and their afflictions. And we will see in a moment that this lament of this psalmist is both personal and corporate. It's, it's things that are happening to him and it's things that are happening to the nation. We don't, we don't know exactly what it was that was happening to him. We don't know his exact circumstances, but it is clear, both from what the editor says and what the psalmist says in verse 1, hear my prayer, let my cry for help come to you. He's suffering, he's hurting, he's afflicted, he's in a precarious position. Like the psalmist, this bears out the reality that we live afflicted lives both from forces outside of us and the flesh that is within us, we are afflicted. And the psalmist is on a quest for hope within his changing, suffering circumstances. He he wants something that will give him stability, something that will give him confidence, something on which he can root his life in the midst of his affliction. Your life is that way too. Isn't it? Even apart from COVID-19, you know 
what this feels like, that what the psalmist speaks of. You, you know that kind of suffering. You, you know financial hardship. You know what it's like to have more month than money. You, you know what it is like to have relational difficulties. You know what it's like to, to be at odds with someone and try to reconcile with them and, and continue to have difficulty with that person and, and brokenness and lack of restoration. You know what it's like to have difficult relationships with neighbors and friends and extended family and co-workers. You know what it is like to have unexpected illness and untimely death. You know what it's like to receive a, a phone call at two in the morning. You know what affliction is like. You know what it's like when people sin against you and you know what it is like when you sin against others and the hardship that all of those things bring. You know aloneness. You know what it is like to experience suffering. To live in this world is to experience suffering. And so it is that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Verse 19, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself is waiting for redemption that will come for God's people because when redemption comes for God's people, redemption will also come for creation. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All of creation is groaning under the effects of sin and what sin has brought in in change in the created order. That's COVID-19, brothers and sisters. That's broken relationships. That's car accidents. That's that's too much month and not enough money. That's, That's our sins against one another. There's brokenness in this world and even even the creation is groaning and longing for that restoration. The psalmist is is living a life that is full of suffering. The psalmist is living a life that is typical of what it is to live on this earth. It It is typical to have suffering in this world. Our lives are full of affliction. From day to day, we do not know what awaits us. And that affliction leaves us unstable. We are unstable because our lives are full of affliction. Verse 23, the the psalmist will also tell us that our lives are weak and our lives are short. Verse 23, our lives are weak and our lives are short. Notice he says, He has weakened my strength in the way. That, That word weakened means that we are bowed down, humbled, the psalmist is brought down. He is, he's been put under this pressure, this weight on his back, and it, and it has left him weighed down. It, there's been so much pressure that he's, he's had nothing to do except fall down. It's, it's crushed him. He's weakened and he's falling down. His strength, his strength is waning. His strength is not enough to bear up under the affliction that he is suffering. His life is even shortened. He points to that in this verse as well. He has shortened my days. The weakness of his life leads to shortness of days. This is a, similar to what the psalmist will say in Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 9 and verse 10. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. (sighs) We don't finish strongly. We finish out of breath. We finish longing. We finish weighed down. As for our days, psalmist continues in Psalm 90, verse 10, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. We labor and we work and we persist and we try and it is gone. We're weak. Our lives are transitory. And notice, notice what the psalmist says in, in verse 23. He, 
has weakened my strength. He has shortened my days. It is not just that the psalmist has lack of strength. It is the fact that God is the one who has decreed. God is the one who has shortened the days. God is the one who has made him weak. God is the one who has not given him the strength. The, the psalmist is lamenting over this, this short life and, and the weakness and the suffering and the, and the hardship that he's experiencing. And he acknowledges that in part this is God's doing. This is, this is God's work in his life. This is God's sovereignty over his life. Now, this is the second time that he has made this lament in this psalm. He had an extended lament. We read it earlier in verses 3 through 11. Do you remember what he said there? His life is like a shadow and it disappears quickly. Verse 3, it disappears quickly like, like smoke. All my days have been consumed in smoke so, so it's, it's like a vapor and it's just, it's here and it's gone. And, and along with that, notice verse three as well. My bones have been scorched like the hearth. There's, there's a physical fever. His, his bones are heated up. He, he seems to be talking about, about a feverishness in his body so that his body literally is burning up with this fever. This adversity that he's experiencing, verse 4, leaves him hungry. Indeed, I forgot to eat my bread. He's weak, he's hungry, he's malnourished. He's emaciated, verse 5, my bones cling to my flesh. He's, he's literally just skin and bones. And, and, and to all this, he is alone in his suffering. Verses 6 and 7, I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I've become like an owl of the waste places. He's a la- an owl alone in the waste places. I lie awake. I've become like a lonely bird on a housetop. He is alone. He is suffering. He's afflicted. He's, he's about to die. And he's alone in his dying. Almost sounds like COVID-19, doesn't it? He's lonely. He's weak. He's suffering. And it gets even worse because it was generally assumed in that culture and that time that physical illness was a sign of God's displeasure with people. Those who were his friends were now mocking him. They were deriding him. They were criticizing him. They were oppressing him. Verse 8, my enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. So all those who are around him have become his enemies. They accuse him. They criticize him. He is like Job with his three friends all alone in his suffering, in his affliction, and left only with criticism, left only with despair. He's overwhelmed. Verse 9, I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. He's despairing. And verse 9, the end of that verse, we might even think that he's depressed. He's, he's overwhelmed by weeping. Seems to be uncontrolled weeping. And we would say, this is a depressed man. He is depressed in part because of all the affliction, all the suffering, all the criticism. Verse 10, your indignation and your wrath out of those things, you have lifted me up and cast me away. He thinks that maybe his friends are right. Maybe this is because of his sin. Maybe this is because of something that he has done to violate the commandments of God and God has turned his back on him. He is not only alone in this world, he is also alone and separated from God. His life is short. His life is gone. He sums it up, verse 11, My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Like a shadow that is here and gone, so is his life. His life is being gathered like grass that will soon be gathered and burned. This is, this is the very same thing that the writer James, the half-brother of Jesus, will say in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. It's here 
and it's gone. You, you try and grasp it and you try and hold it, but it's a vapor. You can't get it and it quickly dissipates and it's quickly gone. So is your life. Life is short and then it's gone. I belong to the YMCA, or at least before COVID-19, I belong to the YMCA and, and go there or went there on a very regular basis and, and, and find there lots of people who are trying to forestall the very thing that the psalmist is talking about. They're, they're trying to hold on to that vapor of life. And as you look around the YMCA, you can look around and you can see people and say something like, well, Wow, he's 40 years old. Wow, he looks really good for 40. He's in great shape. And then, and then you look around at some other people and you say, well, he looks, he looks pretty good for somebody that's 60. I mean, he, he looks pretty good. And then there are others and you say, he's 80. Yep, that looks about right. We're trying to forestall. We're trying to put off. We're trying to lengthen days. But in the vigor of our youth, we don't perceive it, yet we are declining in weakness. Our days really are short. This lament over the shortness of his life is not just for himself, though, but the psalmist is also lamenting for the nation of Israel. Notice what he says in verse 15. Uh, verse 13 and following, rather, he speaks about Zion. Notice in verse 13, he, he changes to speaking about himself and he speaks of Zion, about the city, Jerusalem, about, about the hill in Jerusalem where worship is conducted for the nation. And there is, there is affliction that evidently has come to the nation of Israel. He asks for God to be gracious to her. Verse 13, for the appointed time has come. The appointed time where she needs the grace of God to minister to her. So something has happened that needs particular grace from God to minister to the nation, to preserve the nation. We find as well in verses 14 and 15 that something has happened that God needs to intervene so that the nations will learn to fear the name of the Lord. So, so the nations evidently have come in, afflicted the, na- afflicted the nation of Israel, And the nations need correction. The nations need to be humbled so that they will fear God. There seems to be imprisonment, verse 20, that men may tell the name of the Lord in Zion. Excuse me, that's verse 21. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed in death. So so those in Israel have been imprisoned. They are suffering. They've been consigned to death. And, and the nation needs God to intervene and to grant grace to them. Perhaps this is the verse that would take us to think that, that the nation has been taken into captivity and that the psalmist himself is someone who is suffering in a particular way in captivity in Babylon. Regardless of whether the nation is in captivity or not, the nation is suffering, the psalmist is suffering, The people of God are suffering. He feels alone, but he's not alone. All the rest of God's people are also suffering. And friends, this is a reminder that our suffering is not uncommon. Our suffering is not unique. Our suffering is common to man. That's true of all suffering. It's true in COVID-19, and it's true at other times as well. Our suffering is normal and the suffering of all people, the suffering of our brothers and sisters is common. It's the norm. The psalmist says this to affirm the reality that he has no personal stability in life and the nation has no stability in life. What he wants out of life, length of life and strength of life, And what he wants for the nation, length of life and strength of life, is going away far too rapidly. He's changing. And the nation is changing. And it is not for the better, in his opinion. He is moving towards death, as we all are. In every way, he is changing, we are changing, and it is leading him to despair. 
Change comes from affliction, both inside of us and outside of us. And change is evidenced in a slow, inevitable, relentless descent towards death. Notice one other way in which we are changing and unstable. Verse 24, our lives are dependent, not independent. Notice he says in verse 24, I say, oh my God. And that lament, my God, is the word Eli. It is the very same word that Christ will utter twice from the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the lament of the psalmist as well. And that, that cry, Eli, is a, is a, is a word, is a cry and a word that, that appeals to the strength of God. My God who is strong, why are you not intervening? My God who is capable, why are you not interjecting yourself into my life? And this is a cry for for God to act in his life in a particular way. Notice the particular nature of the request. He says, my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. He is particularly appealing that God would lengthen his days, lengthen his life, and not shorten his life. That, that his affliction and his suffering would be removed. It is an acknowledgment that he is incapable of strengthening his life. He is incapable of lengthening his life. He is appealing to God for God to lengthen his days because he has nowhere else to go. Only God has the ability to strengthen him. Only God will give him what he needs. Only God is sustenance for him. Friends, this cry is a reminder that our lives are changing And that change reminds us every single day we are not in control. We are not sovereign. We are not strong. We are weak. We are unstable. We are incapable. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that the psalmist is lamenting and crying? He's in despair. Of course he's in despair. The suffering is genuine. The suffering is deep. The longing is deep. Where will he turn? Are things hopeless to him? Things are not hopeless. For there is a reality that we are changing and we, like the psalmist, are unstable. But here's another reality. Verse 25 to verse 27. God is unchanging. And God is dependable. God is unchanging and God is dependable. Notice verses 25 and verse 26. God's power does not change. God's power does not change. The psalmist reminds us in verse 25, Of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He established and he fixed the earth and the heavens in their place so that they would operate according to his plan and his purpose. It was his wisdom. It was his strength that put them in their place. And he would, he would have us remember Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, when time began, God was already there and God fixed the heavens exactly where he wanted them and God fixed the earth exactly where he wanted it. He would have us to remember Psalm 8 as well. Uh, verse one, he would have us to remember that our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. You have displayed your greatness, your sovereignty above the heavens and even beyond the heavens. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, I, I think about your creation and and I recognize that it's just a little bit of finger work. It's it's the it's the smallest of activity on on your behalf. It does nothing to strain your omnipotent power for you to put the heavens and the stars, the gap 
galaxies, the universes, and all of their orbits and all of their places. It's all your ordained hand that has put it there. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist would have us to remember that God is majestic and powerful and sovereign. In fact, notice how he says it in verse 25. You founded the earth, past tense, and the heavens are the work of your hands, present tense. So in the past you put it there, in the present you are sustaining it, you are always over it in sovereignty and power and control. The world is operating exactly as you would have it to operate. Thousands of years ago, God established and set in motion the entire universe and He sustains it all by the word of His power. Notice verse 26, everything in the universe changes. Even they will perish. The earth will perish. The heavens will perish. They will all change. But the God who has created the world has not changed. Nothing in Him has diminished. Notice what He says in verse 26. You founded the earth and how you founded it in verse 25. You are still the same as the one who founded that earth. And you, verse 26, still endure. You are the same. You persist in what you were when you created the earth in Time past. You have created it. You're sustaining it. You have not diminished. Oh, friend, when you consider your trying circumstances, consider the sovereign power of God that has not diminished in the least. Listen to what one theologian says. Nothing is too hard for him. If God were stinted in might and had a limit to his strength, we might well despair. But seeing that he is clothed with omnipotence, no prayer is too hard for him to answer, no need too great for him to supply, no passion too strong for him to subdue, no temptation too powerful for him to deliver from, no misery too deep for him to relieve. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In this world that is groaning, in this world that is despairing, in this world that is afflicted, in this world where you are afflicted, God's power is not diminished. His power is the same as it was on the day of creation. His power was the same as the day before creation in eternity past. It has not changed. It is not limited. He is not compromised in any way in His power. He is accomplishing exactly what He desires to accomplish in these days for us. While the world is decaying, while creation is groaning, groaning, while people are dying, that does not mean that any of it is beyond God's power and authority. The world will perish, verse 26. The world will wear out, verse 26, like a garment. Verse 26, like clothing, you will change them. The heavens and the earth will be changed. This physical world in eternity future will be vastly different from the world that we see today. So, so it is changing and it has a monumental change yet ahead for us. But brothers and sisters, God has not changed and God will not change. God is incapable of changing. He is the same today as he was in eternity past. Even Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13 tells us, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh friend, you can trust God. God will not change. His power is not changing. What He was in eternity, He will always be. And we can trust Him in our afflictions He is not unstable. 
Everything around us is unstable. But He is a firm rock. There's another thing about God that does not change. The power does not change. Verse 27, God's nature does not change. God and His ways do not change. Notice verse 27, He says, But you are the same. Literally, that word, that phrase, you are the same, is you are He. That is, you are the Lord. That is, you are Yahweh. You are the covenant-keeping God of Israel. You you are an unchanging God. You who created the covenant and the promises that you made with Israel are unchanging in those promises. Specifically, he says, your years will not come to an end. That is, the one who made promises to Israel will never change. His years do not diminish. His years do not decline. He does not gradually become weaker. He does not gradually become stronger. He is always omnipotent in his full power. So, so Martin Luther said, you ever remain as you are. The God who made a covenant with Abraham, the God who rescued Lot and brought Israel out of Egypt and spoke through Jeremiah and closed Daniel's lion's mouths and, and stuck Jonah in a fish and blinded Saul and made him Paul and enabled Peter to walk on water and then fished him out of the water when Peter began to sink and died on the cross and was resurrected, that God who did all of those things is still the same God today. Since this psalm was written some 3,000 years ago, it should be noted that God has not gotten one day older. God has neither gained nor lost one morsel of wisdom. God has not forgotten a single item. God has not learned a single new a piece of information. God has not sinned even one time. God has not even desired any sin even one time. God has not made one wrong decision. God has not added any new qualities to His character. God has not deepened nor lessened in His love for man. God has not developed His character in any way. He cannot, brothers and sisters. He is God. And He does not change. And all this means that He is faithful to Himself And He is faithful to His promises. He is dependable in our trials. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says in the knowledge of the holy. To say that God is immutable is to say that He never differs from Himself. The concept of a growing or developing God is not found in the Scriptures. It seems to me impossible to think of God as varying from Himself in any way. For a moral being to change, it would be necessary that the change be in one of three directions. He must go from better to worse, or from worse to better. Or granted that the moral quality remains stable, he must change within himself as from an immature to a mature, or from one order of being to another. It should be clear that God cannot move in any of these directions. His perfections forever rule out any such possibility. One who cannot suffer any slightest degree of change is neither self-existent nor self-sufficient nor eternal. And so is not God. He is unchanging. God is always love. He is always holy. He is always present. He is always calling the lost. He is always glorious. He is always righteous and wrathful. He is always eternal and majestic and good and gracious and faithful to His promises and compassionate and merciful and imminent and immense and infinite and jealous and joyful and omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and patient and perfect and self-existent and self-sufficient and sovereign and supreme and true and wise. And He is all of those things in an unchanging manner. He does not change. He has not changed in COVID-19. He did not change before it. He will not change after it. Friend, if you will run anywhere these days, oh friend, run to Him who is unchanging. You know what else does not change about God? The Son of God does not change. It is significant to note that the writer to the Hebrews takes these words 
and applies them to Jesus Christ. And so he says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, speaking about Christ, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become like old like a garment and like a mantle. You roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. This is not only God the Father, this is also God the Son. This is Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the one who is supreme over all things. And the writer to Hebrews demonstrates that Jesus Christ is supreme to Moses. He is supreme over the law. He is supreme over angels. He is supreme over all things because this is his very nature. He is unchanging in the radiance of his glory. God, our Father is unchanging. And God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is unchanging. And His compassion towards His people doesn't change. Next week, we're going to begin looking at Psalm 103. And I don't want to steal the thunder, but just just look over at Psalm 103 for just a moment. Verse 13 and verse 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He is mindful that we are only dust. Oh, brothers and sisters, he knows. He knows your difficulties, he knows your trials. He knows you're suffering. He knows you're weak. He knows you're unstable. He knows you don't have strength in yourself to keep your life. And He is compassionate towards you. Oh, brothers and sisters, He is good to us in all these things. There's one more way in which God is unchanging and dependable. His power doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. His promises do not change. Notice verse 28. Because God's years do not come to an end, verse 27, the psalmist is confident that God will keep him. So he says, your years, verse 27, will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. So his servants' children, they will survive, and their children will survive. The psalmist is looking ahead at least two generations, and he is saying, God is faithful. God will keep. God will preserve. God will sustain. So he's lamented his own life. But now he looks at the unchanging nature of God and he looks into the future and he says, God is not only able to sustain me, God is able to preserve future generations. We can trust him. God will preserve his people. God will always have a people who belong to him. God will always have his faithful remnant. He will not run out of people who belong to Him. And do you notice that what began as a personal lament, His suffering, and turned into national lament, returned to personal lament, now turns back and says, I'm no longer worried about me. I can look to the future and I can see that God will sustain everyone who belongs to Him, including me. But it's not about me anymore. It is about all of God's people. And I am content that he will preserve and keep all of them. He will be faithful. And isn't it interesting that he finds his hope not by looking to the past to see how has God acted in the past, but he looks to the future and he says the God who is unchanging will preserve us in the future. He's made a promise, and because he's unchanging, 
That promise is sure and stable. And we can trust that. He is faithful. And as Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, He will bring it to pass. We can trust Him. He endures. Verse 12, he says, He abides forever. We are transitory, but God abides forever unchangingly. And we can trust Him. What will we do with these truths about the unchanging nature of God? What will we do with this this truth that God is unchanging? How will we apply this to our afflictions? Oh, friend, be vigilant because God is unchanging to fix your affections on our unchanging God alone. If you place your affections on this world, it will change. It will undermine you. You will be unstable. But if you place your affections on God, He will be secure and you will be stable. Make your loves to be the loves of God. Because God is unchanging. Rest in the truth that He is just as relevant to us today as He was to Israel. He kept Israel in the wilderness He kept Israel in the day of this psalmist. He kept Israel and preserved her and brought her back from Babylon. He preserved the early church. And brother and sister, if you are in Him, He will preserve you. You rest in Him. COVID-19 has not taken anything away from you that God has given you. Rest in Him. Be patient because God is unchanging in all the providences of your life when you are tempted to distrust Him. Remember, He is He is compassionate towards you. He understands what you are. You trust Him. He will be faithful to you. And then finally, always be striving to be changed into His likeness because God is unchanging and does not need transformation, oh friend, we do need transformation and we need to be changed into His likeness and that should be our objective. God unchanging was adequate for Israel when their world was changing. God unchanging is adequate for us when our world is changing. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the truthfulness of this word, the hope of this word, the confidence of this word. Would you make us to be hopeful because of what we have read in this psalm and seen of you in this psalm? Oh, Father, might we not despair from our circumstances, but might we rejoice in the God who is unchanging and who is faithful in his unchangingness. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.